Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by 444.com. I'm Ryan Noonan. Joining me as always, fellow 444.com writer, Connor Allen. What's going on, brother? How was week one? Man, it was going like really, really well. Oh, man. Yeah. I asked you, but then I remembered how week one went. God. I was, you know, we were crushing like all the stuff that we talked about, you know, with like the Bills and, you know, the Patriots playing well and, you know, like all those guys covering the spread. Um, and, you know, what I like to do is I like to bet all of my, um, you know, I like to bet everything individually. And then I throw like a quarter of a unit on a parlay, you know, just in case, like if it's a really good week, you know, I'm having an awesome week. Um, and the first four legs hit, including Bears money line and Redskins money line. And then it came down to Cincinnati money line. Randy Bullock, if I see him in public, man, oh, we're, we're going to have issues. Like, you know, that was – how do you – he put, just sort of pulled a hammy like a mid-kick. And then, I mean, before that, like the, the push-off push off in the end zone. And then um, like Burrow's pitch, Mixon's like random fumble the first time in three years. Like literally this whole game, I'm just sitting here like, you know, hand – like face in my palm. My girlfriend thinks I've just lost like, you know, 10 grand, 15 grand just based on my reactions. But yeah, I mean, it, it was sad. Other than that, I mean, it was great. Otherwise still made money. And I guess that's what matters, but could have been a lot better. It was just the toughest of scenes because that was the game you've been touting on this show since March months. I Month. mean, you were a, a Bengals plus the points in week one um, before we had lines. So it was tough, brother. Sorry. I'm sorry. Otherwise, it was good. I hope you enjoyed the rest of it because I know you did pretty well. But uh, we're excited to unpack week two. Our guest this week is better at math than you are. Uh, he applies his data science skills to this beautiful game that we love. Uh, he's the co-host of an excellent show that you should subscribe to, the PFF Forecast. Uh, really one of my weekly staples. Listen to the couple shows that they do a week. Uh, it is Eric Eager from PFF. Eric, what's going on, buddy? Guys, uh, I I also had you know a, a little bit of a, a parlay that included a Bengals money line. Um, so so I, I I feel your pain. Oh, brutal! It was tough, man. Yeah, my uh, fishy teaser of the week got ripped off, which was probably expected. But uh, that Colts Colts uh, money line, yeah. Not- not being able to show up basically had that tease down to a half point. And yeah, that was a, was a tough way to lose the tease. Yeah. I thought, I thought that the, there were a couple of teases that, that looked perfect last week. Obviously the Packers up to eight and a half Bengals up to nine. That's the one that I really liked, but, but even, yeah, I mean the, the hard part was, is, you know, with with the Jaguars at you know four and a half win total going into the season, but only being, uh, you know, underdogs by eight and a half going into the game. Uh, you know, it was sort of that perfect teaser uh, down to, you know, less than a field goal, but, you know, ended up not you know, working out. Such is the uh, teaser life. So this is actually a really good week for the exotics. There's a lot of eight and a half, six and a half out on the board. So we'll uh, we'll sprinkle some of that in at the uh, at the end of the show. So uh, for our wake and take section at the top of the show man, week one overreactions. I know all of our Twitter feeds are just littered with really solid statistical driven one week sample takes of just Tom Brady's dust. James Connors, just a guy. Um, my favorite personally was that the Jags need to continue to be terrible and get the top pick, but quarterback is not the issue. 
um, they need to address other positions. So Connor, any week one, uh, just overreactions that jumped out to you? I mean, there, there were so, so many to choose from. Yeah. I mean, like the, the Colts went from being like the, the off season, you know, darling of with the strength of schedule. Now they're just like, you know, they don't even exist. Right. You know, I think it's like at this point, there's actually a live win total right now. It's like eight and a half at DraftKings. Um, that, that's bettable. Um, I, I mean, I'm kind of interested in that to be honest, but I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not super, I never was like in love with that. So yeah, I, I think that that, that was definitely an interesting one for sure. Well, it would make sense that that would drop a little bit. You definitely were thinking that Jacksonville were two of the nine, nine and a half wins that you were going to be getting out of them this year. So that, I guess that number makes sense. Anything jumped out from an overreaction standpoint, Eric? I, I'm going to stay in the AFC South. I think that Tennessee, you know, going into the year, you guys talk about the Colts being favored in that division. I was actually, I'm on Tennessee plus 160, 170. I even think 190 was, was a price at one point that I got it to win that division. Um, you know, and then Houston, of course, was at like a plus 144 to make the playoffs. I think now they're probably about plus 200. You know, both of those teams, I don't think performed up to expectations in week one. But if Indianapolis is like, you know, failures, which, you know, could be real or could be not real. But, you know, I think that there's a fundamental problem with, you know, Philip Rivers just didn't change his stripes. Um, you know, that division, I think, is wide open. And, you know, Tennessee is still like plus 125, even though if I look at, you know, my my strength of schedule, you're looking here, you know, Tennessee's got a um, a, a top five in terms of easiest strength of schedule moving forward. Like, you know, they, they dropped only down to 125 on FanDuel. Uh, I think I think an our overreaction to them being kind of dysfunctional, even in a win uh, on Monday night is, is pretty substantial. I mean, yeah, they should have won games. that game by a lot, right? Like they, I mean, they they should have, right? I yeah, know. I mean, they they had a goal line stop that I think changes the complexion of the game too. Yeah. I think that game was just kind of a cluster, but mm-hmm. but yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> I, I they should have covered the number probably, but they also didn't play great. Like Jerry Judy dropped a lot of passes that were open and stuff. But I I think moving forward, like they're this was a tough game. I mean, winning in Denver, I understand without fans, but still with the altitude in September is a really tough ask, and they were able to do it. I think moving forward, one of the biggest things for them was Ryan Tannehill, who a season ago averaged 13 yards per pass attempt when using play action, like couldn't needed to drive at the end of the game and, and was able to get one, mostly playing out of shotgun and mostly throwing the football. Yeah, played with pace. You know, pretty good, like you mentioned, you know, no huddle, which was good to see early in the game. But those island games are just ripe for overreactions, even in like week 14, I mean, just anytime we get a game isolated where everyone's watching it, they're not watching red zone. They're not just looking at stats on their phone. The, uh, the Island games are just the absolute, absolute worst. Uh, people unloading takes all over the live play by plays. I just, I, I throw the, <laughs> I throw the phone far away <laughs> on Island game. I can't stand it. Like we're all watching the game. Anyone who cares about that doesn't need your, you know, a 30 second delayed play by play. Just, just let it roll. Just enjoy the game and, and watch football. But oh uh, yeah, that was that was your Thursday night football take, right? That was your uh, yes. It was like the you know the old man yells at the clouds, like no one cares about your uh, you know your play by play takes. We're all watching the game, you know, and that's that was 
That was your thing, but I mean, you're kind of right. So I, I get it. <laughs> I mean, you're totally right. Not right. I thought it was funny. Well, handicapping week two is always a challenge as well. So we, like we've talked about, we were just chomping at the bit for months, spending lots of time, just forecasting, projecting, drafting, you know, trying to get ahead on, you know, season long bets. Um, week two is tough to put into context because after really waiting for actionable data points, we really just have a one game sample to extrapolate that. So what's noise, you know, what's small sample variance. And then also like, what's a situational trend and then, you know, a usage standpoint, whether we're looking at the prop market that we actually want to take advantage of. So I think it really is kind of a difficult week as you start to, you know, marry these two things. So I think at its best, it's kind of just a season for confirmation bias, um, you know, just a breeding zone for that. So um, before we, uh, we jump into it, we want to just let you know, we are trying to expand the ways that you can consume, move the line this season. You are uh, hopefully listening to this podcast form. We're also available weekly streaming live on the 444.com Periscope. Also doing that on Twitch stream and YouTube as well. So really appreciate if you could take the time, rate and review us, especially on podcasts. Helps us keep the lights on, let other people find us. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can give you some actionable content and help you make some money. So let's jump into the games here. First game is uh, Jacksonville. On the road against Tennessee, spread here at nine, with Tennessee favored. Total of 42 and a half, which is pretty common for this, this game. This is just that standard uh, Thursday night corner TV game that they give us. This week they put it in the middle of the prime slate on, on Sundays. Um, tanking's a funny thing. I think that Jacksonville, um, arguably the worst roster in the league, but there's no incentive for anyone on that roster to lay down and tank to incentivize a team that might not have them rostered next year to help them solidify a top pick in next year's draft. So that's what happens. We had a kind of a prime spot last week where we were on the Colts seemed like a really nice spot. You had that interdivision road favorite by more than a touchdown in hindsight, it sticks out as what the hell were we thinking? But uh, let's get started. Connor, talk to me about this one. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, this game opened up over 10. It was at 10 and a half. And then after, you know, like Eric said, that the dysfunction of the the game there with Denver and uh, the Titans, I mean, we're looking at Tennessee minus nine. I don't really have too much of a a take on the spreader total. I would like, you know, Tennessee probably to cover the number here. But again, um, I mean, Jacksonville, no one told Jacksonville that they're going to be the worst team in the league. And that's very clear. Um, And I I don't know. I mean, I think that Minshew is, is kind of, you know, he is a player who's really volatile and shows his highs like he did last week. And then, you know, we'll also have some lows. So it's just not a game that I'm super interested in betting um, across the board. But I think it is worth noting BJ Chark only had a 15% target share. Uh, your boy LaVisca Chenault, 20%, um, was used pretty frequently. And uh, something really notice, uh, notable too, Chris Thompson was basically a nobody. James Robinson saw almost all the usage there. Um, and I'm not sure if that continues um, in this one where, you know, hopefully they should be, or not hopefully, I guess they probably will be a negative game script, but that's something to look for, something I'm probably not betting. I was on Thompson last week, unfortunately, but uh, the game script just didn't happen and uh, it was it was a shocker. So yeah, I don't have too much in this game in general, maybe some Derrick Henry props, even though they're going to be really, really high. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this one, Eric? I mean, some of those things that Connor's talking about, I think, are kind of perfect, what I was talking about. Like, we're talking about target shares based off of 20 attempts and, uh, you know, running back usage 
based on, you know, very heavily game scripted. So, yeah, one of the things I like in this game, I, I played over 42 when it was available. I know at Beck Chris, it's 42 minus 120, 42 and a half is probably the true number at this point. Uh, you know, Indy struggled, you know, it, it was, but it was mostly out of a clean pocket for, for Philip Rivers. I mean, he was only pressured on six of 47 dropbacks, which means, you know, the, the Jacksonville defense was not getting to the passer with the same sort of a aban- reckless abandon that Denver was able to against Tennessee. And so I think Tannehill and company will have their way. I think they'll move the football. I think they will be that efficient offense that they were a season ago, but Tennessee's defense, you know, up front, it's basically clowny, no one else. And in the secondary, you know, we all, we, we already saw Dory Jackson was put on IR. Um, you know, Christian Fulton struggled to hang with Jerry Judy, uh, you know, when he was, you know, making moves in the slot and, you know, that, that Jacksonville receiving core is not too dissimilar when you look at, you know, you look at the, you know, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and, you know, some, somebody, my colleague, George Shahri, was on his underprop last week was Chris Conley, sort of the, the la- gone and forgotten guy, but last season was a very, you know, potent deep threat at times for this team. So, I mean, I like Jacksonville just because I think the point spread is too high for an interdivisional game this early in the season. Um, but if I were to have to play something, I'd play over here. Yeah, we did see an increase in routes run for Derrick Henry, which was encouraging. He made a sweat out. That, the over uh, 91 prop. <laughs> over 91, and I uh, I had him at 14 and a half receiving yards, and he, he got to 15, which was, uh, was a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> but, again, no Darrington Evans last week. Uh, I haven't seen in practice reports for him this week, but it was some of the thought around Henry coming into the season was, you know, there is a chance that someone like Evans doesn't really carve out that – you know, Deion Lewis role that all of a sudden, if we're seeing some sort of usage for Henry, you know, which we saw last week, a career high in routes run, that is encouraging for his usage moving forward, looking at the prop market as that starts to emerge. Obviously, recording on a Wednesday night, we don't have props available. Speculating on them last week helped a lot, at least for me, for my process, because then, you know, if I had priors on it when I saw the number pop, I could be able to make a move. So I think Connor's right. I think we do see a rushing total here north of 90 for. For Derrick Henry, I do think we see a closer split usage in the Jacksonville backfield. If the game script isn't what it was last week, I think you see a little bit more. Chris Thompson might make his, you know, receiving total yards and receptions props interesting here too. This feels a little high. I'm with you, Eric. I feel like this is a this is one to, to earmark for later for a teaser. All right, so we'll move on to uh, next game is the Giants on the road against the Bears. Bears five and a half point favorites here at home. Total at 43. Uh, both clubs off to a slow start week one. Uh, both really forced to abandon the run early. Chicago, though, able to roll back and upset the Lions, I guess you can call it, on the road there in week one. Really bad loss for the Lions. Um, I don't think there's a lot of actionable data from these two clubs, um, which, again, with just workflow and, and game scripts getting off balance pretty early. I think we could have a squeaky wheel narrative a little bit here brewing, though, with Allen Robinson. Um, there's lots of trade request rumors on Monday and Tuesday, really good matchup against a pretty questionable giant secondary. What are your thoughts on this one, Eric? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think was missing out of the other day was actually that, you know, the, the giants defense is one of those where they acquired a pretty solid first corner in James Bradbury, but the, the, the weak links, right. Are really poor for them. I mean, even Jabril Pepper is a guy that, you know, they thought was going to be a contributor for them was really, you know, struggled in coverage and struggled in run defense. So 
I, when I look at Chicago here, I think maybe there's a chance that Allen Robinson is neutralized um, by the Bradburys of the world. But then you get to the secondary players, which Trubisky utilized really well at Anthony Miller. Um, I think that, you know, he might have a, a big game in this one. Um, when I look at the Giants side of the ball, I, I tweeted this out. I, you know, I, ha- I do this thing where I look at schemes and I try to cluster them together. And the Giants were all by themselves um, in, 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 in large part because they ran the, the le- least amount of motion in the league. I think a bottom five in terms of play action. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, were just, they were just extremely predictable. And it's a league that's moving fast. I mean, you could get away. So they ran play action on 20% of admissible downs the other day, which would have been a relatively high number like four or five years ago, but now it's unacceptable, you know, and they ran motion on like, I believe it was 15% or less of those downs as well, which again, acceptable a number of years ago, unacceptable now. And I wonder if I, if I look at this game, I feel like the number is too high, but then I come back and think, okay, Joe judge on Monday night's probably going to look at Saquon Barkley's efficiency and think, okay, that's why we lost. He's that kind of coach, and <laughs> and when and when that's the case, I just simply can't back a team. Yeah, grit and grinder definitely in his in his makeup for sure. What are your thoughts on this one, Connor? It kind of feels like a, you know, again we have the Giants coming off of a, we talked about at the top Island games, and anytime we get that isolated, you know, people definitely have strong opinions on what they saw last. Recency bias is strong. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Eric's comments about the offense. I think that's the Jason Garrett special, right? Um, you know, no motion, no play action, uh, run the ball up the gut. I mean, Saquon Barkley was straight up swallowed in the backfield. Like he was like, he didn't even have a shot at most of the, like half the running plays or more. Um, so yeah, I could, I could see them just really actually even trying to get him going, like making it a point, like, you know what, he didn't get going and that's why we lost. And then just really forcing the issue. Um, and, What's what's kind of sad is I, I wish that like they were smarter because, you know, I I'm not the biggest Daniel Jones fan, but I thought he looked pretty good. You know, for the most part, like his his arm strength was good. Like he was getting the ball out quick when he had he had a chance and he wasn't like, you know, dead in the pocket. But like I thought he actually looked all right. Um, I don't really have too much of a take on this game in general either. Um, I was kind of like Eric. You know, I was flirting with potentially the Giants being a little live. And then I looked at all the different secondary pieces of like, okay, well, the Giants offensive line is bad. They're not going to scheme much. Um, The defense is still not very good in a lot of areas. And while I don't think Trubisky is very good either, I mean, he was downright awful for three quarters. Like they had six points going into the fourth quarter. And I mean, they were just, they couldn't get anything going, um, especially when they got close to the red zone. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think that this one's probably just stay away from me because it's two teams that I just, I can't really get too much of a vibe on. Um, there's too many conflicting factors. I will. I think it is worth noting, though, Jimmy Graham, 19% target share in week one. Um, is the ghost of Jimmy Graham back? I mean, that is, uh, you know, comical that uh, Ryan Pace Bears team is, you know, bringing back Jimmy Graham here. I don't know if he's back. I'm not going to be the one <laughs> finding out every week. I mean, uh, not going to be a prop market that I'm dipping my toes into. Yeah, no shot. Yeah, stay away from me too. This is a more exciting game. Let's get to the Falcons on the road against the Cowboys. Spread here at five, total flying up the board, 52 in most spots now. Uh, we can see here on the board here, you know, we're even seeing some 52 and a half. Um, both these clubs ran a ton of plays in week one, passing in an above average clip in situation neutral settings, which is definitely something we want to look at. It's definitely inducive to scoring. Uh, major question marks in the, on the injury standpoint for both these defenses heading into this one. I understand why the points continue to climb. What are your thoughts on this one, Eric? 
Yeah, this is one where you know I would say you know I would say that the Falcons are you know some value here just because you know lack of home field. Um, you know the the fact that their offense did move the football and that you know Raheem Morris came out this week and said you know he just expected uh, you know the Seattle Seahawks to do what they normally do, which is run, run, pass, and they ended up pass, 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 and that you know obviously had them on their heels. Um, Dallas is a team, you know. You know, it's pretty you know well known now that McCarthy you know consulted with us for a while. You saw it on the fourth down. It's like I, I have a lot of faith in him, but he ran the ball a little bit too much on early downs. You know, this this past week, um, and I think that he he that game, you know, Rams uh, Cowboys was like the stone lock over for a lot of people at fifty one and a half, and that game played under because both teams seemed dest you know content to run the football, and I would say that you know. Even though I can't go under in this game because the Fal- Falcons and and Dallas's defenses too are not good enough. When I when I look at this number, it wouldn't normally be a great number to bet the dog just because of the variance. I think of this game. I think this game will play closer uh, than most people believe. One one guy that I really like in the prop and DFS market is Calvin Ridley. Again, uh, we do a buy low model. Uh, very similar to Josh Hermsmeyer, uh, of, of four, formerly a four for four, now a five thirty eight, um, and Ridley, um, you know, has a huge probability this week uh, of of having a blow up game, uh, and, and I can see it. I think Julio is the main focus for Dallas, and and Ridley, you know, again like a like a week ago, he and Russell Gage both ate. I think that happens again. Loved it. I had Ridley in cash last week and uh, enjoyed the fourth quarter. Well, Sunday's action quite a bit. Lots of garbage time, a couple of garbage time touchdowns, one with like 30 seconds left. It was fantastic. But uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on this one? It's going to be a fun one to watch at least. Yeah, I, I kind of like the over at 52. I know that, you know, what what a lot of Eric said make, makes a lot of sense. I just, you know, with this this Falcons defense, I think is just extremely, extremely bad. Um, and Dallas's offense was picking up chunk plays when they were not running the ball. Um, but I thought Zeke looked really good. Um, but I think something that's worth noting and, and something that plays to, you know, potentially Atlanta covering here, making it, you know, maybe a three point Dallas win, uh, Dallas, you know, third lowest pressure rate against the Rams at 11%. Um, and they allowed a 60% success rate against the run. Um, now they have, you know, Leighton Vander Esch is, is banged up. Sean Lee's on IR. Um, like I don't think this defense is very good anymore. Um, and so now you have, you know, two, two offenses who, um, you know, are very capable. And I, I thought that, you know, CD lamb looked awesome as well. And what Cooper had a huge target share, but like, I mean, he's also another potential player who could blow up this week with, if he maintains that target share against the, the secondary of the Falcons, but yeah, I love the Ridley call. Um, he's in there as well as like one of my notes um, in terms of potentially blowing up. But then I think also interesting, like Russell Gage, I don't know what his prop market's going to be, but he saw a lot of targets last week. Maybe it was just because they were playing behind and maybe it was garbage time, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just don't see this Falcons team slowing down, throwing the ball as much as they can and like having to play catch up for a lot of the season. And maybe the market still underreacts to uh, Russell Gage playing a lot. So I don't know, depending on what his number comes in, I could be over there. Same with Ridley. I mean, I know his, his number last week was like, you know, 55, 60 yards, something like that, or is what that's what it opened at, which is, you know, too low. I and mean, I think we could see maybe like 65 this week on the receiving yards, which I think is still low. It should be closer to like 70 ish. Yeah. I yeah. bet really last week at 61 and a half. It's yeah. the same range. 
That offense has always done a really good job of supporting a third receiver, uh, whether it be, you know, Gabriel, Sanu, you know, depending upon who that was. So Gage is certainly live, especially, um, you know, given that their tight ends are still, I mean, Hurst, Hurst, you know, was okay, but not, you know, certainly not getting the volume that any of those three wide receivers are getting. Hurst is interesting to me this week, knowing that he ran so many routes, he was on the field so often, he just didn't really see it. And I think that Cowboys, especially with some of the injuries, injuries, the linebacker core questions and the secondary, I think you could see Hurst be a, at least in DFS, maybe a, a nice bounce back off the radar in a game that we expect to be pretty popular at getting other, you know, aspects of the game for sure. If I caught this total on the way up, I like the Atlanta team total isolated okay. too, as long as it stays under 24, uh, 23 and a half or so. I think, you know, if we're liking them to keep this a little close, that's a little bit under a key number. I uh, kind of like that as uh, as a, another way to maybe get in if you think you lost the best of the number, which at this point you did. But, uh, you know, team totals are definitely exploitable. All right, next one has uh, Denver on the road against the Steelers. This one has climbed as well, up to 7.5. 41.5 is the total. I jumped in really early. I think Connor did too last week on this one. Uh, it opened at 5.5. It's through seven now, which is really interesting. I, I I thought it would get to seven. I didn't think we'd be midweek through the seven at seven and a half. But again, recency bias. We saw Pittsburgh's defense really clobber the Giants in an island game, and everyone can only react to what they saw last. So we jump in definitely there. And knowing that really the, at the same time, the Broncos are coming off of a Monday night game that did not set the world on fire either. Short week for both clubs. Um, Pittsburgh pressured Daniel Jones 42.6% of his dropbacks and now it is drew Locke's turn so what do you think on this one eric yeah i think you know this might be tennessee which again plays to that over that we talked about earlier but you know all five of denver's offensive linemen on monday night graded above average in our system um and and some guys you know dalton reisner for example uh it graded really well and so uh, you know, Drew Locke, I, he had obviously his issues. He had a wide open receiver that might have put that game away and he missed him, but he also, you know, had some passes drop, which, you know, we, you know, are, are extremely noisy in this league. Um, you know, Pittsburgh was really good defensively, um, but they also took a long time to get going. They also gave up to uh, a big play to, to the New York Giants and a long drive to the New York Giants. Um, and, you know, I, I frankly think that the New York Giants, as far as a play caller, downgraded when they went from uh, Pat Shermer to Jason Garrett. Pat Shermer, now the coach uh, of the Denver Broncos. Drew Locke was one of the four worst you know, players in the league in terms of generating positively graded dropbacks last week, and they still had some success on offense. So, uh, you know, uh, at seven and a half, I think there's really only one side you can bet. I'm not, I'm not crazy about Denver, especially with Bouye uh, on IR. Um, and obviously Vaughn Miller, but Alexander Johnson's a really good linebacker. I don't think Benny Snell and the, the secondary running backs for, for Pittsburgh do as well as they did against the Giants. Uh, and I, but I, and I think they have enough juice in the secondary, especially with Justin Simmons to neutralize, you know, Pittsburgh's receivers who I think are all pretty good, but no superstars. Yeah. What are your thoughts here, Connor? Yeah. I mean, at seven and a half, I'm, I'm interested in Denver below, you know, seven or at seven. I, it would probably lean Pittsburgh. Um, but I think, you know, I don't really have too much of a take on the game in general. Um, Juju, you know, I thought his usage was encouraging. Like he was schemed open via picks a lot of times. He was in this played a bunch in the slot. And Deontay Johnson, you know, played, I thought, really well outside of his early, you know, issues. Um, and, 
you know, had led the team in target share, but having that like, you know, viable outside target, I think is really important for Juju's value um, and potentially like, you know, going forward. So I thought that that was definitely interesting. Deontay props are going to be very, very live going forward because like you said, you know, he led the team in target share. And while it was just one week, I think that, you know, him and Juju will be neck and neck going forward. Like Deontay's the real deal as long as he's not, you know, I mean, he did have some some issues early on with like you know the miscommunications, but it's, he seemed to shake that off and do just fine. And there, I think there was a play that was pretty telling. It was like you know him and Roethlisberger had a miscommunication. He like hit him in the back. And the next play, he threw like a perfect strike comeback where like you know it was a timing route, and they got going literally from there on out after. So um, I thought I thought that that was notable. Other than that, maybe some Elvin Gordon props, but the matchup is so tough because you know Lindsey's out probably with turf toe. It says he's day to day, but. Um, I don't know. It seems like a tough injury to overcome and he's already seeking uh second like opinions. I mean, it's never a good sign, but you know, they'll call him day to day. Um, plus, plus Melvin yeah. Gordon's like not that good. So yeah. like, <laughs> so when you're playing a running a defense that can actually stop the run, it's going to be tricky for him. James Washington was a guy that we were, we were on his under last week. I think he's mm-hmm. the odd man out in that offense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah James that, Claypool looks nice too. He, you know, yeah. a couple of nice sideline catches, um, yeah, the AJ Boye injury, I think is noteworthy. You brought it up, Eric. And I think that that kind of helps this offense, but I agree with you guys. Like, I, I feel like if you didn't catch it on the way up, you know, it was six and a half, or maybe even seven. I, I, I don't think that the right play at this price is to back Pittsburgh is kind of a stay away through the, through the seven there. Yeah. Again, another teaser option for, for later in the show, definitely a, a money line, uh, live pick here. Uh, next, we have the uh, Vikings on the road against the Colts. Colts three-point favorites here at home. Uh, 48 is the total. Colts have been pumping in noise for years. They're excited to do that legally this year. Um, both teams really disappointed in week one uh, in their own unique way. Indy racked up over 400 yards of total offense, never punted the football, yet lost to the consensus worst team in the league. Uh, Minnesota's revamped secondary that we've talked a lot about here, completely undressed in a big way by Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Uh, the Vikings decided that regardless, they were just going to continue to run the football, uh, even though they were down in a big, big way here. Um, I kind of, that was one of my favorites last week. I love that Packers money line. I think that the Vikings are massively overrated. Um, that secondary is just going to be really hard to hide until they get all of the pieces ready up front and can really pressure the quarterback. What are your thoughts on this game, Eric? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the Packers were, I can't the, the plus three and a half when it opened made absolutely zero sense to me, um, and then it got down to two and a half. But then you could take it at plus one twenty five. It was a great. It was the it was a can't miss teaser leg. Uh, you know, it was it was the perfect game. And you know, I've been pretty vocal about the Vikings and how I think that they're the perfect team to illustrate how superstars only matter if they're quarterbacks and skill position players on the offense superstars on defense can't cover up weaknesses the way that we think about them. And the, the hard part is, is the Vikings don't get this. And, and it, and it really showed when they, when they, when they took a second round pick and, and traded for Yannick Ngakwe, who I, I think is a pretty good, you know, above average pass rusher, but certainly not, you know, what they're billing him to be. But when you have so many weak links in the secondary, it's easy to exploit you. And, we were to look at last week, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers scored 43 on them, basically with what one reliable wide receiver. I mean, the other guys were dry, like, he could have thrown for 500 yards if their receivers would catch yeah. the ball. And like, when I look, so I look at this team versus I look at the Indianapolis Colts, 
the Colts are not the stubborn sort of pig-headed team that the Vikings are. They, for better, like Ballard's a smart GM. Reich's a smart coach. Um, they're built, I think, really well. They obviously lost the superstar quarterback, and they're reeling from that. Um, but they're, I think, built smartly. Minnesota has so many missing pieces. So when I look at this game, I can't bet the Vikings because I just simply – I think a, a, a smart team – can can exploit them on defense and on offense. Like I said, I think like they traded their best player this off season. And, you know, we saw how limited they could be when the Packers actually tried on defense, Kirk cousins was under siege and, you know, had nowhere to throw, you know, a lot of the garbage time there. So I, I I'm either Indianapolis or nothing here. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Connor? Yeah. Agreed. Definitely would lean, lean Indy here. Um, I mean, Minnesota 9% pressure rate last in the league last week. Um, I mean, they gave they gave Rodgers all day, um, and really, I think that there's a big mass mismatch now going to be between Ty Hilton, Cam Dantzler. Um, Ty, you know, obviously a speedy receiver. Cam Dantzler ran like a four six four. Um, I think it's a good week for Hilton to blow up potentially. Also notable, Paris Campbell looked very legitimate, twenty percent target share in week one. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think Indy. Also, I mean, this like. For everyone taking Jonathan Taylor in the third round, you struck gold. Like, you are so Ugh. lucky. Um, and, you know, may, I mean, maybe, you know, you can definitely make the argument that Jonathan Taylor is a very talented player. He was a good prospect. Um, but, you know, you struck gold with that Achilles tear with Mar- Marlon Mack. And I think this is, you know, this is probably going to be the time where he's going to start coming onto the scene. I'm interested in some Jonathan Taylor props, too, against this, you know, Vikings defense, which allowed just, like, I mean, sixty-seven percent rushing success rate last week. I mean, that's insane. Like, that's absurd for a rushing success rate. They their defense is predicated on that the nose tackle holding the how holding down the point of attack by himself. And with Linville Joseph in L.A., um, you know, it's now down to Shamar Steph and Jaleel Johnson, guys who aren't very good and who also don't produce. They had no one on their team except for uh, Shamar Steph had two pressures. Everybody else had one or fewer. Um, I I think. You know, if you're looking in a very obscure prop market, I think the under four sacks in this game will probably hit just because I don't see any coming from Minnesota side. And, you know, the Vikings, I think, will will see that, you know, last week, you know, you know where they were really felled was in the middle of the second quarter when Kirk Cousins took on too much pressure. I think that they'll try if they're in the game, I think that they'll try to you know do the play action, the boot stuff that really keeps Kirk out of harm's way. Really hoping for a second receiver to emerge last week for Minnesota as well. And really let down by Irv Smith. There's really nothing out there with BC Johnson. Uh, you know, obviously no preseason limited pattern practices really kind of curbs the initial appeal of, of uh, Jefferson out there. It's just kind of a tough scene. That's why we expected them to be a heavy run team. And they really lean into it, even in negative game strip last week and could be in that same spot again here. Toll's a little high. For me, but uh, knowing that these teams both want to run it a lot, but again, knowing that there's holes in the defense too, it's it's uh, it's a number that I'd monitor if it got down a little bit lower, but um, or you continue to climb. But uh, as it is right now, I'm kind of staying away. Something to to definitely monitor. But I'm with you. The Jonathan Taylor props are going to be something to watch this weekend. Screw you guys, luck boxing into the third round value with Jonathan Taylor uh, while we were busy taking James Conner all over the place. So. Thumbs the brakes. Uh, let's move on to the uh, NFC South here with Carolina on the road against Tampa Bay. Uh, nine, nine and a half is the number in most spots. We're seeing the total around 48 and a half as well. Uh, tough debut for uh, 
Tampa Bay against uh, probably one of the best teams in the NFC, returning home now to Florida to face another NFC South team. Youngest defense in the league, as we talked about at length last week, and they were really they were exploited against uh, you know not so great Raiders team that really took advantage of them. Great offensive line, they ran the ball really well. Um, I anticipate Carolina's offense have a slightly more difficult time moving the ball here against Tampa Bay than they faced against that Raiders defense. What are your thoughts on this one, Connor? Classic Connor. Myself, yeah, here we go. Did I mean myself there? Yeah, I'm yeah. sure I did. Oh, okay, um, yeah, I like the Bucks here, um, against the spread, and honestly, maybe even their team total over 29 after last week's disappointing, you know, performance. Um, I think that they bounce back, um, and even though they're they're um, you know, Godwin banged up and or in the concussion protocol, and then Evans banged up, um, I think Evans plays. Um, Scotty Miller looked pretty good actually last week, and then OJ Howard, I thought, you know, kind of took on a fairly significant role. He's probably going to be, you know, somewhat viable in, in DFS, but yeah, I, I like the bucks here to beat the Panthers by a lot. You know, I think that this is a great spot for a great bounce, bounce back spot for the bucks because Carolina's defense, I think could be the worst in the league by a good bit. Um, they got 10% pressure rate, second lowest behind um, the Vikings last week. Um, they allowed over 30 points to the Raiders who, you know, aren't really, um, a super notable offense and an offense that I don't really think is that good. They just, you know, struck gold here. But I mean, this Panthers unit is really, really barren. So, yeah, I, I think this Tampa Bay here scores over thirty, and I think that they win by you know ten or more. What are your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, this is one I have a difficulty with. I think early in the season, when you have division um, division dogs, you know, of a touchdown or more, it's really hard for me to lay the points. Um, but I can see it. I mean, the 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 hard part was, is you know, last week Tampa Bay was in a position that I think Carolina will be in a lot this week. With down, you know, seventeen, a quarterback who's a little bit limited going down the field. Bridgewater last week was one for three for seventy-five yards and a touchdown throwing down the field. That one touchdown was kind of fluky uh, to Robbie Anderson. He was fine in the intermediate. I think he's a he's a fine quarterback. Um, but their defense was atrocious. They gave up. You know, Josh Jacobs had ten missed tackles in the run game uh, against them. So th- this one, like I, 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 I like Bridgewater. I like backing him because I think he, you know, he reminds me of an old Bears quarterback, Jim McMahon, who just like was wasn't the most impressive statistically or physically, but always kept both teams kind of in the game, kind of always condensed the game down. Um, and I think Bridgewater has that quality. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I probably never back his opponent on more than a touchdown or more, but in this one, I, I do see a lot of like Tampa Bay really sort of leaning in here. Their defense didn't play that badly, uh, against, uh, New Orleans and, and, you know, they just got kind of unlucky in, in a few spots. Hey, Connor, I need your help on this one. Um, the sure. Buccaneers, I'm sorry, the, uh, the Panthers missed 16 tackles last week, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> But again, we talked about it. They used their entire draft capital in April to address the draft. <clears throat> They're leaning on these guys early and often. Um, and we saw a surprising amount of usage that I'm wondering if it continues in the, the Tampa Bay backfield. Uh, is the Ronald Jones prop market something that I need to have in open minds on this week? No, because he like wasn't good. So like if he isn't good here in this spot, he's never like, been he, good. He's toast. He's like, probably you know, like, good in high school. But he wasn't good in college. He was kind of good in college. He ran straight well and ran fast. You know, I mean, like that was 
Couldn't catch a cold. I mean, important. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's not something I'm buying into because, right? So if he like gets off to a slow start again, you know, after kind of struggling at some points last week, especially efficiency wise, like there's, they're going to, they have Fournette, they have McCoy. Like it's not like they're going to just like keep rolling them out there. Like I, I just think that the leash is really short. So like, you know, if he blows up, which I think that he should have a good week. I'm not banking on it. I'm definitely not betting in a binary prop market. I can definitely see the appeal in like a, you know, mad big tournament of attacking it because maybe, but I don't know, maybe his ownership's going to be high. Like I feel like a lot of people like Ronald Jones. Um, I don't know. It's that USC running. When he ran for USC, he looked like Jamal Charles. He wore the, <laughs> he wore the same number. He had the same hair and, you know, we couldn't get past that. Yeah. I mean, the usage last week was really nice. We're talking about, you know, we're looking at almost 10-point favorites at home in a game that we expect to have some offense. Uh, like there's, There are some signs, some indicating signs that would make you think that it was at least a long enough leash last week to think that, you know, he's the guy again this week. So trying to trying to evolve as a human and as, a, and as an analyst and not have Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones sucks, take lock. Um, I feel like he... I feel like he does suck, but I mean, at the end of the day, if I can profit off of him being better than I thought, I'm willing to to do so. Take a look. We'll see if we get any. Although that's the worst place to go get uh, coach coach take snippets through the week as far as usage is uh, is Bruce Arians. We want to definitely back away from those. He told the truth. I mean, week one, he, told he did truth. in week one. That's why I'm asking. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to do. All right, next one: uh, Buffalo on the road against Miami. Spread five and a half here. Total at forty one. Uh, we got the. Josh Allen car wash last week, full experience, top 300 yards for the first time in his career though. Uh, but then outrushed the entire Jets offense, rushing score, uh, multiple lost fumbles. Like it's just the whole thing. So um, heading south this week, staying in the division against the Miami team that allowed Cam Newton to run for 75 yards, couple scores very effectively last week. What are your thoughts here, Eric? Yeah, this one's tricky. I don't know if I can bet it straight you know straight with you know with um Miami not catching the full six uh but the total being at 41 I think this is a great teaser line to be quite honest with you up to 11 and a half just because you know last week Miami's defense didn't play terribly well they had the second most snaps in the league played by rookies um and they played a team very similar to Buffalo quarterback threw three interceptions and they lost by 10 um so I think you see some regression from Josh Allen. I think you you see some uh, tightness. I think out of Miami, um, who you know have three good corners now, can match up a little bit with Buffalo and make Josh Allen make throws. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I I actually I make the total forty and a half. So I even like further under this forty one. But if if I'm going to play this game, it's going to be a teaser with Miami up to eleven and a half. You make a good point. So. We haven't talked about that a lot too. I think we talk about teasing through key numbers if you're going to do it. Though you do often see it's probably plus EV long-term on totals that are this low. Like you're looking at, you know, under 44 or so. Anytime you can get double-digit points, teasing the plus leg of it is probably the best way to go, especially in a situation like this when it's a home team uh, in the division. So what are your thoughts on this one, Connor? 
Yeah, it's tough because I think we have to weigh in our minds like whether, you know, Josh Allen is really taking the next step forward or the Jets really suck like that bad. <laughs> I think that there's definitely it's probably somewhere in between. Um, I just don't know what that balance is right now. And um, I am definitely in the Jets suck camp uh, and have been for a while. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I'm also, you know, I, I did back Buffalo, you know, pretty heavily last week, but I think it was a combination of things. So. I don't know. I, I I would actually lean, you know, Buffalo minus five or five and a half, but at six, I'm probably staying away. Um, I know five and a, five, five and a half are mostly, you know, dead numbers, but I think that's, you know, kind of the point where uh, could very easily be a six point win. Um, and I, I just think Buffalo's roster, you know, in general is a lot better than Miami's overall. Uh, doesn't really have a lot to do with Josh Allen. Um, and yeah, like Miami's backfield is kind of a disaster. Parker's banged up. Um, Preston Williams is still a little bit banged up. Gasecki saw good slot usage, which I thought was, you know, important. He saw like, I think it was like 75% or more slot usage, which is awesome. Yeah, 71. It's good for yep. a big slot. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's great. So, I mean, he could be, you know, a viable prop target, but really Buffalo's, you know, secondary is pretty stingy. So I'm probably not going to be touching too much here uh, in terms of the prop market or the, or the side. Yeah. Kind of with Eric, like I typically don't like to take unders that are this low, but I think with the way it breaks down, looking at team totals, Miami is a little bit over 17, 17 and three quarters. I, I do believe in the the Bills, uh, Bills defense um, even early in the season. I know early season games in Miami are definitely historically difficult, um, regardless of really what that team looks like. I mean, last year was a, definitely a, a, an outlier seeing both Baltimore and New England go down there and just boat race them. But you know, this is a, it's a tough place to play. It's warm. No matter where you are in the country, going down to Miami on a Sunday afternoon is warm, but getting Miami under 17 is uh 17 and three quarters is, is something that I'm interested in, in the, in the team total market. Team totals are the way to go. Uh, this is another one we jumped on early Niners on the road against the jets uh, numbers up to seven here with the Niners favorite on the road, total of 42 and a half. Um, I'm not really sure how bad this Jets team is. I think they're really bad, though. Uh, even at home against the depleted Niners club, we're again having massive injury issues on both sides of the ball with Richard Sherman out for a couple games. We don't know Kittle's status heading into the week. You know, all the different receiving pass catching issues that the Niners have had in the offseason. I backed this last week. Uh, the look ahead lines would have popped out at five and a half and anticipated that it made this move to seven, and it did. What are your thoughts, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I got on this at five and a half, doubled down at, at minus six. Um, this was like you know three weeks ago. I just thought this was like a blatant error. Um, one because I knew that the Bills would win, um, or it was very confident that the Bills would win. And then you know, I think this number would have actually ended up higher if the 49ers didn't you know uh, struggle against the Cardinals last week. And like you said, you know, there are some issues with um, you know the secondary, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I still like San Francisco by a lot here. Um, the the Jets like literally looked awful. Now Jamison Crowder's banged up, like missed practice today. Um, they put Denzel Mims on IR. Like I think it's pretty much going to be Chris Herndon, um, and that's going to be how I'm going to attack this game. Otherwise, the prop market, I think that you can get some overs there potentially. Um, he saw I mean he was the second highest in target share last week. Crowder saw like forty percent, you know, which I guess makes sense in the comeback against the Bills with how they funnel. Uh, on their defense but yeah I mean this this 49ers spot while it's not necessarily awesome I mean because just because of their defense I 
I just think the Jets are so, so bad. Like their offensive line is no continuity. They, you know, were just getting shredded by the Bills. They allowed an 8.3 adjusted sack rate. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I points bet this at minus six. I took, you know, six and a half, and I would still lean them at minus seven. But, you know, with San Francisco coming in hobbled, uh, I'm less inclined. What are your thoughts here, Eric? Jets pretty bad. Yeah, the Jets are bad. But, um, you know, they do have some talent defensively. Uh, they Their offense gave them nothing really in the first half, and they were able to still create a couple turnovers here and there, um, which, you know, that that – I think the hard part is is San Francisco. I think is also not very good. I mean, they they're trying to funnel their entire offense through a tight end, which I don't think can happen um, when you don't have the you know requisite players on the outside. Um, Sherman got put on IR today. Akella Witherspoon is going through concussion protocol. Um, Javon Kinlaw played pretty well in his debut, uh, but you know there, there's just. There's just so much randomness here that I can't. I don't think I can lay points with either team. Kai Becton, you know, might be out for the Jets, and he graded really well as in his debut as a rookie. Um, San Francisco going to the East Coast to play uh, to play New York teams twice in a row. Um, you know, there there might be an issue here with sort of like a you know, sort of a sandwich game type of idea where they're not as motivated or they're just trying to get out with a win. So for that reason, I just I can't lay a full touchdown. It's a lot, uh, especially knowing, like you said, there's just there's so many questions on the San Francisco side. It's tough to think about that Super Bowl hangover, but it happens sometimes. And and Jimmy G is not very good. I mean, that's the hard part is you, you take away his yeah. weapons, and I and it's really it gets it gets really tricky for him. I mean, the the Arizona Cardinals gave the Niners every chance not only to win that game but to cover the seven points, turnovers on their own end, missed field goals, and San Francisco just simply didn't want it. Apparently, yeah. Any props that you're going to have an eye on, Connor, when this pops out? Yeah, probably just probably just Herndon, Frank uh, Gore. Yeah, no, no, no. What? No. I mean, maybe Frank Gore like under. I don't know. Like, um, if you can get like under like forty something, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if they run him like you know like seventeen times for like forty one yards, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably Herndon. All right, no lines moved as much as this this next one has. We have the Rams on the road against the Eagles. Uh, it was. Three and a half on Philly side last weekend. It's all the way through zero, and you have the Rams minus one, minus one and a half in some spots. Um, you know the obvious major offensive line issues for Philly up front were magnified in a major way last week against a really nice front seven with Washington. They really took advantage of that. Now we have Aaron Donald uh, coming to town. Uh, Philly should have Miles Sanders back this week, which is nice for them. It helps a little bit some of the backfield issues they had last week. What are your thoughts on this one, Eric? Yeah, I was able to get it at three uh, when the Rams were playing on Sunday Night Football. Um, it's moved a lot, although after you get off of three, these numbers sort of don't mean a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so so it's, not, it's, it's not a significant line move um, until it gets all the way, I think, to the LAR minus three. I was a, a guy who faded the Rams you know, this season in terms of win totals. Um, I think that they are, you know, pretty fragile in terms of, you know, they have two superstars on defense and they lost, you know, Littleton, Weddle, uh, Roby Coleman, uh, and then their coordinator. And then, uh, you know, on the special teams, they lost their kicker and their, their, their special teams coordinator. So I think there's a lot uh, of fragility here with the Rams. I think people are overreacting a little bit too much to Philly's week one, uh, loss, especially given the fact that you know Philly really struggles at tackle, 
and you know obviously Aaron Donald plays on the interior so they might be able to mitigate him Philadelphia is still a smart team um they they play basic strategy better than most um whereas the Rams punted on a fourth and one where they could have put the game away uh, on Sunday night football so there there are some like tactical things where I think I like Philly I probably would never would not bet them until it gets out to you know let's say plus three or or something like that but um you know, they might be a good teaser leg out to seven and a half, uh, especially since I think both teams are going to want to like mitigate their weaknesses by running the football. Uh, and, and this game, you know, could maybe go under the 46. Yeah, not a lot of feels for me in this one. I kind of want to see what happened. It was encouraged to see uh, Dallas Goddard really take advantage of his opportunity last week. Uh, you know, we saw kind of a spike when he came back from the bye last year with all the injuries they had in the second half of the receiving core. He's really emerged as kind of really the secondary receiving option. We saw a lot of air yards for DJX and even Jalen Rager, who was encouraged, you know, it was an encouraging sign that he even played. But, uh, you know, if they're able to keep Carson Wentz, it seemed like I, I forget who I, I read it or who I heard said it's almost like they had a game plan locked in for weeks. <laughs> and this was their game plan, and they just didn't deviate off of what it was and uh, continued to do five, seven step drops and just, you know, gave Carson Wentz no time. So, uh, it's definitely uh, interesting to see how Philly adjusts on this one. But the spread as is, you made a good point. Like It is a number of points through the zero, but at the end of the day, it's not necessarily massive movement where you're really staying between threes. All right. Go ahead, do you have something? Um, honestly, honestly, not not too much. I, I thought the Goddard point, though, was, was good, and that's something that we should focus on. In, in addition to uh, Malcolm Brown and like the usage in that backfield should be something we pay attention to. Not something that I'm going to like get in on right now with the with the betting market, but it is important. Yeah, pretty significant bump in both snap rate and target share for for Goddard over the last you know seven or eight Philly games. So worth noting. Uh, next, we have uh, NFC North tilt with the Lions on the road against the Packers. Packers six point favorites at home. Total nice healthy forty nine. Uh, both clubs again staying in the division. Bad loss for the Lions last week. He played without their top playmaker, Kenny Galladay. But uh, really a lot of buzz as we got into last month of the preseason on the Lions. I think really there was just no dominant team in the NFC North. Everyone and their brother just keeps harping on the fact that the Packers were not a 13-3 and team and they had to regress. Not understanding that you can regress and still be 9-7 and and be the bell of the ball in a pretty crappy division. Um, again, we saw the issues that uh, – we're happening in the Minnesota secondary. Really nice kind of FU for Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of talk in the offseason, obviously, what was going to happen with his role there. But what are your thoughts on this game, Eric? Yeah, this is one that's interesting because I feel like if if I if I can get Galladay playing and I can get Trufant and and Akuda appears to have practiced, but you know, Trufant, Daryl Roberts was came in for Justin Coleman, who just got put on IR. If I can get Detroit healthy for this game. I think I like plus six. Um, the problem is, is I don't know if I can uh, because, you know, if they, if they go into the game without Coleman, without, you know, one of the, you know, Ro- uh, Roberts or Trufant and then, you know, Galladay, uh, even if Galladay plays, I think they're too fragile on defense um, because Green Bay, you know, seemed, you know, Rogers was very good. He, he led the league in, you know, percentage of passes that we deemed accurate. Plus, he was, you know, he was on rhythm, which is something that has historically been just something bad for him. Um, so, you know, I, 
I, I usually would like Detroit in this spot, um, but I think that there's just too much going. I don't think Patricia is good enough to overcome, uh, you know, weaknesses uh, on a week to week basis. I was one of those people that liked Detroit at plus 900, plus 700, plus 600. It eventually got to five, which I think was the end up ended up being the right number to win the NFC North. Um, but I think after watching one week, I think all the things that we worried about with Matt, Matt Patricia are true. I think that just worried me with this Lions team is the secondary. Like, I feel like they're a maybe a better version. I feel like they're actually probably closer to what the Vikings are than what the Vikings market was. Uh, they have the ability to be a little bit more explosive offensively, but lots of questions in the in the defensive side of the football. You know, I know Jeffrey Akuda is a nice prospect, but again, really nothing else back there with him. We saw, I mean, we might be benefiting, you know, or the Lions might be benefiting with losing Coleman because he's just been atrocious in the slot for a long time now. But what are your thoughts on this game, Connor? Six feels like the right number. Yeah, I mean, I well, they're getting Akuda back probably. He's practicing in full, so I think that that's, um, you know, a big addition back. Well, hopefully, I guess we don't really know. We were kind of embracing that, you know, volatility before um, with the Bears potentially. But um, I still think the secondary is going to be really bad. Not enough for me to really bet this game either way. I would be interested in the Lions, but like you said, no Galladay. Um, and, you know, weirdly, Marvin Jones and TJ Hawkins just didn't really see too many targets. Quintez Cephas um, out of UW-Madison led the team in targets. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, people have been quoting, like, the Kenny Galladay role. Um, I don't really know if that, like, exists. Um, but maybe it does because Quintez Cephas has led the team in targets. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm for me, this game is kind of a stay away on, on the spread total. Um, nothing too strong. Something to watch for would be again the receivers because it looks like Gallaud is going to sit. He didn't practice. Didn't even like do anything. He just had like a helmet on. Was on the sideline. So it seems to me he's probably not going to play. Um, would was again going to be the the Swift versus Peterson uh, workload to watch. I think that's that's a big thing um, going forward. You know, and I, I probably imagine Peterson seeing a lot of the early down work and. Swift ran a good amount of routes, though, so I think maybe potentially capitalizing on his uh, receiving usage going forward could be big, but probably not the spot for me to take this. We were talking last week what the anticipated Devontae Adams numbers would look like in the prop market, and like I told you, he'd probably top him by the half, and he did. Uh, we said it'd be you know seven and a half and like 90, and he had like eight receptions for 92 yards by the half. Um, 13 and a half targets per game over his last six, just a massive, massive target share topping 30% week in and week out. And we just talked about the questions in the Lions secondary. So I think another great spot for Adams definitely attacking both his, uh, his yardage and receiving uh, reception props as well in another jam them in spot for sure. And in DFS Um, totals a little high for me. If we don't have Galladay in the division, um, knowing that really we kind of expect typically for Green Bay to, to want to run the ball a little bit more. I don't know if this is what we're going to see all season, but feels a little a little high. I want to see what kind of happens with that as, as the week goes on. Yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a good point. I feel like Detroit is going to try to ground and pound a little bit, uh, kind of like they did, although that game went over. It was only 42 and a half uh, was the total last week. But um, they'll probably try to slow the game down a little bit against a Green Bay team that sort of boat raced um, you know, the Vikings, one thing to be cognizant of in this game, though, is that the Green Bay defense after a solid first half was not good. Uh, once Detroit or sorry, once Minnesota um, decided to start throwing the football, 
you know, there, there is a situation where Green Bay could get backdoored here. Even, even if you're not, you're, you're okay laying the six and not the seven. Uh, you know, Detroit still could get in there just because, you know, Green Bay's defense is not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Uh, this one's going to be interesting. Uh, Washington on the road against Arizona spread six and a half on Arizona side total, uh, 46, 46 and a half, 47 is out there, depending on your book. Uh, really, when you consider pace, uh, at least the way they both played in week one, this has a little bit more scoring upside than I think at first glance. Um, Arizona got back to that breakneck pace that we saw from them early in the season last year. Talked at length really about the how we were impressed with Cliff Kingsbury. And really, you know, he had his system, but he wasn't really locked into it and really adjusted with what he had from a roster standpoint last year, they became a very efficient running football team. They ran quite a bit last week as well. Uh, but they also, as noted by friend of the show, Pat Thorman, in his Snaps and Pace article over at ETR, they ran no huddle at 41% last week, which was the second highest in, in the league. The only team higher was the Giants, who just were playing from behind so early <laughs> that they had no shots to run 60% no huddle. I, I just I think that that's a little bit what we wanted to see. There was a ton of plays in that San Francisco Arizona game. A lot of plays in the Scott Turner led offense for Washington as well too. So very encouraging signs for those offenses. Washington not very efficient per se, but we like to see the play volume. What are your thoughts on this one, Eric? You know, <laughs> the everybody was all over Arizona coming into the year, especially Kyler and fantasy, and I could see why. And on Sunday, we did see some of the reasons why. You know, Hopkins was such a beast. Um, and Murray, you know, in the run game, uh, was pretty good. You know, the times he didn't want to slide a yard in front of the line of scrimmage. The, the hard part I have is they still were the same team. I, you know, Mina Kimes on ESPN, I thought put it perfectly. You know, Kyler's a singles and home runs hitter, but he doesn't hit a lot of doubles. And in football, like I, especially fantasy football and gambling, I, like I need a quarterback that can move the football. And Murray is kind of like he was, his average depth of target was 6.5 and his average, you know, his, his average um, yards per pass was 5.5. And without play action, those numbers dipped below four uh, or sorry, below five. I'm sorry. Uh, on those types of plays, they were still very much like a dink and dunk team. And, you know, they were, they were okay because Hopkins, you know, m- made a lot of, you know, moves there, but are Washington that much worse than the Niners defensively? I think up front they're every bit as good with Chase Young, uh, Jonathan Allen, some of those guys. You know, you know Ryan Kerrigan, NFC Defensive Player of the Week, and then in the secondary they played pretty well with Ronald Darby and company. Um, you know, they last week. So I, I liked Washington when it opened at seven. I still think I'd take it at six and a half. Interesting. I like it. Um, what are your thoughts here, Connor? Yeah, I mean, initially, I kind of, you know, when I looked at it, I thought that Washington was live, um, you know, again. Um, and I still think they are, but kind of the issue is I think that that like quick, you know, ding and dung offense is going to kind of counteract and neutralize the pass rush of Washington, which, um, you know, like you said, you know, Philly did a lot of, of, you know, big drops and like seven step drops. And like, I don't really see Arizona doing that. So I think that could neutralize that a little bit. But again, you know, if, if Washington keys into that and is able to, um, figure it out a little bit more and, and play, you know, tighter press coverage, then I think that that could be, um, it could be all right. And they, you know, it's kind of like a chess match there and kind of who's able to win. Um, so yeah, the offense was kind of weird. I mean, what were they doing with Peyton Barber? Like 17 attempts for 29 yards. I mean, what a joke. Um, Antonio Gibson looked pretty good. 
um, when he got carries, but he just wasn't used that much. Um, again, in the passing game, too, it was really weird. Uh, we took the over on his receptions at two and a half. He ended up with two. He had like two in the first quarter, like quarter and a half, and then just did nothing down the stretch, which was really odd. Um, so, I mean, that's something to look for. I think that he should see more usage down the road, but again, like assumption of rational coaching is not always a wise decision. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'd probably lean Washington here. Well, probably interesting in the Washington total then. Team total probably open around 20, which is a nice number. I like the game total over. I don't really have a lean on the side. I would probably lean on taking the points, but um, I'm encouraged by the pace. I know that pace is not end-all, be-all, and play volume is not end-all, be-all, but combined, knowing what they both did in week one, I think it's kind of a ripe environment, especially knowing that the number came down a little bit. It was at 47, which can be a key number sometimes in totals, dropping at 46.5 at DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, that number is appealing to me. The uh, Antonio Gibson, I think, slant is a good one. Uh, Isaiah Simmons graded beneath a 30 in our system. He was, he was abused by you know Raheem Mostert on the one early early game play. But uh, you know Jordan Hicks struggled since coming over from Philadelphia. Devondre Campbell, Isaiah Simmons, I think they're weak there. Um, Washington, you know, if if they can get their backs out of the backfield and give Dwayne Haskins some easy throws, I think that really helps them. And Logan Thomas was encouraging last week too. 74% snap share, um, 26% of target share, and he saw 54% of his snaps either in the slot or out wide. Um, you know, we know that he's an interesting, you know, size speed combination prospect with his time as quarterback at Virginia Tech. So it's kind of emerging as a, a nice pass catching option there. You know, supplementing some of the younger guys out there with with Sims and McLaurin. So um, you know, pretty bullish on on Washington here. I've I've told this story before, but I actually went to Logan Thomas's bowl game where he was the starting quarterback for Virginia Tech, and he, it was legitimately the worst um, the worst performance I've ever seen in my life. Like this guy was like a homeless man's Josh Allen in college, like literally couldn't hit anything, like you know four feet away from him. Um, and like it's like just this bias in my head where I think of Logan Thomas and like playing in fantasy, I'm like you know I just immediately get grossed out. But he is a good play, you know, going forward as a tight end. Um, but yeah, it, it, he's, I mean, Silva has him as like a locked in tight end one going forward. And I think that, you know, that might be a bit aggressive, but, um, you know, saying he's like fringe top 12 is, is not, not at all. Yeah. He'll definitely be a popular, popular DFS play this week. So, all right, next game will be fun. Baltimore on the road against the Texans, Baltimore, six and a half point road favorites here, total 52 and a half. Uh, Baltimore is just offensive juggernauts uh scary to think of what we could see from lamar if he continues to take strides forward as a passer he really did that last week still managed to rush for 74 yards barely even played in the fourth quarter um yeah i mean connor i know this is your team for the super bowl this year what are your thoughts on this week yeah i mean i grabbed them at six and a half seven's about right um i just thought that anything under a touchdown was kind of you know ridiculous just because um like I don't know. I mean, even if even if the game's close, like really towards the end of the game, like Baltimore should win by a touchdown or more. I think that, you know, like they could very easily win by 10. Like this this Houston defense is not very good. Um, it just got shredded. Um, Baltimore has looked, you know, nothing but great. Like, you know, they just smashed again in their home opener. Like I know there's a lot of talk about regression, which is, you know, definitely, definitely fair and viable in like a season, you know, long. But I just don't think this is the spot where they take a step back. Um, and 
Um, yeah, I mean, for them, like, I think that the, the running matchup is good. Probably should see a heavy dose of uh, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, who should see a little bit of a bounce back. But Dobbins saw the most usage. Um, this Houston defense just got torn up by Clyde Hilaire. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that Baltimore here is in a great spot. Six and a half is great. Seven, probably still lean Baltimore, but it's not as much of a play for me. Uh, mostly just kind of betting around that key number here. And then for Houston, um, Will Fuller's, you know, usage was great. Like seeing that short to intermediate usage in the passing game, I think was really big. Like he was seeing a lot of the chain moving targets, which is really important for his fantasy value. Um, but overall, I would say that maybe David Johnson seeing a little bit more work in the passing game with Duke Johnson probably sitting would be an interesting target in the prop market with them likely playing from behind. Other than that, I mean, Fuller's matchup is kind of hard against his Baltimore secondary. So, yeah, I'd probably lean Baltimore under seven and then maybe some David Johnson pass catching props. Yeah, DJ ran around on 20 or 32 of uh, Watson's 40 dropbacks. You mentioned Duke questionable uh, going into the week here, so we could see a spike there. And he did look spry. I mean, we all saw him die on national television last year at the same time with that. I think it was the Cincinnati run. Was it, the, uh, it was just awful. It yeah. was that down the left side of the line. He just looked like he forgot what he was doing. It was just incredible to watch. And then really never saw the field much after that injuries and then other guys emerging. But uh, yeah, you also mentioned Will Fuller. I thought that that was really interesting to see. It wasn't just the, you know, the, the deep, you know, heavy a dots air yards targets. He saw 10, 31% of the team market share at 51% of the air yards, but it was some of that Deandre Hopkins type stuff. Some of the, first down targets, things that really haven't been in his route tree in the past, you would say. So that's definitely interesting. And then obviously the uptick in usage that we thought coming into the season with Mark Andrews was really solidified with his 87% snap share in week one. So those things are all really encouraging. What are your thoughts on this game, Eric? I, I At seven, I'd have to go Houston or, or nothing. Um, I know Baltimore is a juggernaut and I know that Bill O'Brien gets uh, a bad rap for a lot of things and but I ultimately, as much as Lamar Jackson is awesome, I, I, I think I think Deshaun Watson's is equal, and, and you know, in a game like this, I just I have a hard time laying more than a touchdown when I think, you know, Watson has a pretty good possibility of just simply you know getting through the back door there, or also just you know keeping it close altogether. Um, you know, Houston's coming off of ten days rest, where Baltimore is is not um and uh i look at that offense and my takeaway from the kansas city game was that their offense i don't think is is bad i think they have some good weapons um we didn't even see all that much of kenny stills we didn't see much of randall cobb till the very end which was good be i i had some unders on him um but cobb averaged 10 yards per target a season ago at dallas while still dropping nine passes. So he's a guy who I think that they could deploy uh, as a receiver that's actually different fundamentally than the Stillses and the and the Fullers and the and the Brandon Cookses of the world. Their two tight ends are fine. I you know I think that they'll be I think that they'll be competitive in this game, unlike the last time that they faced each other. Yeah, forty one to seven uh, when these two teams met last year. Uh, spread was close. I think it was a four point game. Um, you know, pre-snap and yeah, definitely I'm with you. I think that the Houston offense is a little bit better than we think, better than when we saw in week one. Um, I think anything under seven is probably the right way, but I think the price matters here too. If it gets over seven, 
I'm probably not chasing that number with Baltimore. I would like them to win for sure. So in a teaser, a money line spot makes sense. Anytime though, right now with, uh, unless they're going up against just a really dynamic offense or defense, anytime their team total is under 30, it's just really tempting to, to jump in on them and they'll probably open short of 30 this week. So that's definitely something I'm going to take a look at. Uh, another team that's really interesting on a team total line, anytime they are below 28 or 30, which they'll likely be this week, will be the Chiefs. They're on the road against the Chargers. Uh, this spread has dropped a little bit too, seeing uh, eight and a half out there in most spots now. Um, obviously, these te- two teams are very familiar, playing twice a year. And this Gus Bradley defense the last few years has really kind of slowed down, at least the juggernaut that we've seen from a Chiefs offense standpoint in the last couple of years. What are your thoughts here, Eric? Yeah, they play a, a really interesting cover three. In fact, the, the the cover three that they played in the two meetings um, was basically the blueprint for what the San Francisco 49ers wanted to do to the point where in the you know, lead up to the Super Bowl, they basically you know game planned to overcome the deficiencies that they had against LA during the season. So uh, you're right. I mean, it is, it's tricky to me. This is a, a teaser. You tease it down to two and a half. Um, you, you take a look at that total over 47, you know, if, if you get something Kansas city, like 27 and a half as a team total, I think you have to look at that uh, yeah. rather intently. Um, the problem is, is I think Tyrod Taylor is a guy that slows the game down maybe too much. Um, where this game might end up being boring uh, and difficult if you are sitting on an over or Kansas City minus this this big price or a team total. So I think Kansas City obviously wins this game outright, um, but it might be a snoozer just just based on who the quarterback is for the Chargers. Kansas City team total and the teaser is definitely my lean on this one. What are your thoughts, Connor? Yeah, I mean, much of the same. I would think that one thing I would like to hit on potentially would be Eckler's passing props. I know that he saw like basically, you know, no usage in the passing game. But for me, this is kind of like a now or never spot for him. Um, if he's not seeing pass game usage when they're going to be facing negative, you know, game script. And he, sh- I mean, he saw plenty of snaps uh, last week. It's just if he doesn't see it now, I think it's kind of like, you know, it's probably not happening with Tyrod. So um, I think that you should probably be able to catch some low numbers after last week. Um, but again, that's going to be relying on the market, but if you're able to get like a two, you know, two and a half, maybe, maybe even a three, uh, and over there on the receptions for Eckler, I think that I'd be interested in that. Um, otherwise, you know, I'm not really touching this offense or really much to do with this game. I like the teaser call, um, and maybe some Kansas city live bets. That's one of my favorite things to do is just like the markets are not calibrated for Patrick Mahomes, like the, the algorithms of the live betting, uh, you know, markets. So yeah, I'm definitely, you can catch some some Kansas city action under, you know, maybe seven or, or if you're even luckier, you know, chargers taking an early lead and you're able to grab under three. All right. Next we have the Sunday night game with the Patriots traveling West to Seattle. Uh, four and a half is the number for the Seahawks seeing some fours out there still as well. Total around 45. Uh, we got our answer. I think a little bit, but I think we might go back to it. We wanted to know is Russ going to cook. And um, it seems like he did in week one. Certainly took advantage of a porous Falcon secondary that was really running out just a garbage team of of uh, defensive backs. Um, I think you could see them lean a little bit more on the run this week, though, and slow this one down. What do you think here, Eric? Yeah, this summer has moved out a little bit, right? Three and a half was was where it was, you know, even a, a, a day ago. Um, with 
I, I'm a I'm a Cam Newton fan, but I think in this game he's going to be more of a fish out of water. I think the offense that relies on quarterback running um, and you know doesn't have very many weapons can succeed against teams that you're favored against, but will really struggle against teams uh, that you're not favored against. And so I would lay the points with Seattle here. If anything, I think the total is probably dead on. Um, so I you know I think Seattle moves to two and zero here. Yeah, I think this is probably stuck at three still if Nikhil Harry doesn't fumble through the end zone and that game looks a little different with a 28-11 to 11 score. But uh, I'm with you. I think that Seattle is probably the way to go on this one. Uh, what are your thoughts, Connor? Yeah, I think that's that's a great point, right? So, like, realistically, that game probably should have been 28-11 to 11 or, you know, maybe even 28-18 uh, if, you know, Fitzpatrick didn't get uh, picked there at the end. Um, but, I mean, the offense for the Patriots was efficient. I played the over at 44, um, it's now at 45. Um, I, I like the Patriots to be able to score here. You know, the Seahawks front, the trenches are not good, even though their, their defense or their secondary is really strong um, in a lot of areas, you know, especially with the addition of Jamal Adams. I think that, you know, maybe they he won't have as much success passing the ball, but I just don't really think we saw that too much, you know, against the Dolphins, like really when they were forced to start playing quick. Um I thought that they played pretty well and, and they started, you know, really being able to hammer out some quick, efficient passes, especially hitting Edelman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been bullish on Cam Newton and the Patriots pretty much this whole offseason. And um, I, you know, plan on riding that here. I, I, I'm not, I would be interested in their money line, but man, I'm not going to bet against Russ cooking. Like, if they're letting him cook, there's no shot that I'm betting against that um because he was we've been begging for this for years it finally happened and he was nothing but efficient I know that the Falcons defense is not good but I mean this is another I think the the Patriots defense showed a little bit of flaws last week too um there was I mean some of those Dolphins drivers were moving for a little bit Uh, I know they only ended up with 11 points but um you know there there were some there were some times there where I got a little bit concerned about the Patriots um, so yeah, I, I lean over at 44 and 45, um, 45, I'm not as interested just because I got a better number already, but I would still lean towards that new England team total at, if you can get a 20, I would be interested in the over, um, and you know, Seattle at 24, but again, it's probably going to be closer to like 24 and a half and then 21 and a half. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, are going to be probably annoyed for a little bit with the Seattle backfield usage we saw last week, just 28 snaps, 45% of the snap share for Chris Carson. He did catch all six of his targets, though, which is nice. They did talk about that, though, going into the game, that they wanted to ease him in. He's obviously coming off of a hip injury. In the offseason, you hear a lot of teams last week talking about easing usage of some guys coming into week one with no preseason or anything like that. So we saw a little bit more Carlos Hyde than anyone would want to see other than probably Kyle Side's mom. And then same thing with Travis Homer. Like He played 21% of the snaps last week. Still a little too high. Makes me a little bit wary of any Chris Carson props in a spot where I think they might have an advantageous game script. So probably wait and see in that market as well. All right, Monday Night Football has the Saints on the road, christening the new stadium there in Vegas against the Raiders. Uh, five and a half is the number on the Saints side. Total is around 51, 51 and a half. And uh, that seems really high to me. What are your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, when I look when, when I look at this game, uh, I I I think the total is a bit too high. Um, when I the the Raiders are a team I don't think that wants to be all that down the field on offense. Uh, they're a team I think that likes to go 
you know, underneath to, to Josh Jacobs now, it appears. They're a team that likes to throw to the tight end uh, in Darren Waller. Um, and it's, it's stretching Derek Carr's nature to throw the ball over the top. Um, and I think the Saints early in seasons are like that as well. I think they want to get Kamara and, and Murray involved. Um, Michael Thomas being out, Emmanuel Sanders being, you know, sort of ho hum l- last week. Uh, I, I think this game plays kind of slow, and um, and as such, it, it's hard for me to lay the points with New Orleans on the road. Yeah, the numbers high, but I don't want to back the Raiders either. No. But uh, <laughs> I'm with you. I feel like it's a. I feel like it's a, a stay away. It's one of those like son of a bitch. You put it on Monday night, so you kind of force my hands all Monday afternoon to like look into the game and then probably take some action. But um, yeah, the the total. I'm curious to see if the public. You know, public likes to bet overs. Um, so I'm worried about maybe we're not getting the best of the number if this can continue to climb. What are your thoughts on this one, Connor? Yeah, I mean, really a lot a lot of the same here. Something that is worth noting, Jacob's past game usage. Um, I thought that Ian Hart has brought up an interesting point um, that Ian Hart or that uh, Josh Jacobs also played a feature role last uh, year in week one and like played like 73% of the snaps and, you know, saw more usage last year as well early on in the season. And then that slowly declined as the season progressed. I would be interested in maybe some unders on Josh Jacobs' passing game props. I don't think this game is going to be as as back and forth, like you guys said, and there's always a chance that they don't um, give him, you know, too big of a passing role in this one. And pretty much all their offseason moves suggested that he would not have a, you know, pass too big of a passing game role outside of Gruden saying that they wanted to get him the ball in the passing game. So it's really that, um, you know, difference there between what's going on. I think Jared Cook could be an interesting play here with Michael Thomas out, could see a little bit more of the shorter passing game usage. Same with Alvin Kamara. I'm not really sure who fills in there entirely, but those two guys I would be interested in for sure. Um, and then maybe some some Jacobs pass game under, like, you know, if you can get under like four receptions, something like that. Yeah, despite leaving the game early, we saw encouraging usage from Henry Ruggs. Um, nice role for them. Uh, 67% of the snaps, 52% of those in the slot, which is nice. 18% of the targets and then 51% of the air yards. So that's nice to get him utilized like that. And not just deep down the field, but looking to kind of leverage him in, you know, shorter, closer to the line targets, kind of like Eric was talking about. But uh, yeah, I think the total is too high. Not super encouraged on the Raiders offense, even though it looked good last week. I think that's what's kind of inflating this number. Um, but yeah, obviously you no know, Michael Thomas kind of, you know, the, uh, the drinkster there in that offense and really not having him in that lineup is definitely going to change the dynamic of that offense quite a bit. Um, all right, now skip to the Thursday night game to wrap it up. So um, it saves us face. You know, you don't stick around for the whole podcast. If we just completely airball our Thursday night analysis, <laughs> you might have missed it. So uh, we'll talk about the uh, Bengals on the road here in the division against the Browns. Um, Six-point favorites here at home for Cleveland, total at 43. You know, obviously a really bad debut for the Browns on the road. It's a tough spot. Um, Still encouraged with this football team heading into the season. I don't want to necessarily just scrap everything I thought coming in because of one game. It's really what we preached at the top. Don't do that. Um, But I want to see them look really good against, uh, you know, a rookie quarterback making his, his first road start here. What are your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, it's one of those where if if the Bengals take 
you know, some uh, you know, solace from the game on Sunday, it's, you know, when Burrow is in control of the offense and you have the defense on their heels, he can be pretty good. Um, and, you know, when you try to run sort of a traditional offense, drop back, throw, you know, run play action, all that stuff, it can get really ugly. You know, Cleveland was awful in the secondary the other day. Uh, up front, they were fine. Larry Ogunjobi graded really well. Um, so did Sheldon Richardson. Obviously, they have Miles Garrett. Those are all mismatches for them. Um, but it, you know, it, so it just depends upon if Zach Taylor is going to let Joe Burrow sort of, you know, you know, do what he did at LSU, which is, you know, uh, sort of play with tempo, uh, get the ball out of his hands quickly because they have the weapons in Green Boyd, uh, John Ross, and and uh, you know, and the like, Auden Tate um, as, as well. Um, when I look at Cleveland side, like Cincinnati is, I don't think a slouch defensively anymore. DJ Reader, I know he was hurt. I, we have to look at his his status, but. Um, you know, they have Dunlap, they have, you know, their linebackers played, I think, better and, and limited a lot of what Eckler did last week. And then in the secondary, Mackenzie Alexander and Jesse Bates played really well. So um, it's going to be a tough one for Cleveland. I mean, I like Stefanski. I like Barry. I, you know, but, you know, for me, it, it's going to be tricky to to sort of lay the points. I, I you know, and I, if I had to pick a side, I'd probably take Cincinnati here with the six. What are your thoughts on this one, Connor? Yeah, I agree. So I, um, you know, got to stay true to the brand here. I'm going to ride Cincinnati until they, they get their first dub. Um, I, I played a little bit of action on their money line. Um, I, I think there's a chance that, like, you know, Cleveland just fully collapses here. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of the matchups make sense about, you know, what Eric said. I, it's, it's tough because I, I – what if Burrow is able to play with tempo? Like, he looked really good once he kind of came into his own, um, was able to get his rhythm there. Um and this Cleveland offense just seemed like kind of a train wreck in a lot of areas. Uh, I believe it was all of their starters were limited in practice today um, on the offensive line. Um, and, you know, their secondary is still really banged up. I think this is a massive bounce back spot for Tyler Boyd, who was locked up by Chris Harris last week. Um, and so, yeah, I like the Boyd overs potentially getting him in like a, you're able to get like plus – 125 plus 130 on over four and a half receptions for Boyd. I think he ends up with like five or six in this game. Um, and, you know, the Cincinnati money line here is over plus 200, plus 220 in some spots. Um, and if you're you're really feeling dicey, you know, you can get like a Cincinnati minus six and a half at like plus 500. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, make your Thursday interesting. Bet on Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And, um, I, I mean, I think that this is, this is actually an interesting spot for them to further – um, bury the Cleveland Browns and potentially, you know, start their start start their unique season here. <laughs> what's what's their unique season? Six and ten? Yeah, I mean, I just think they're going to keep a lot of games close. Like you know, this Chargers game. Like, I mean, okay, they should have won that game. They should have won. And <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they're just going to play a lot of games close. That's what's unique about it. Is they're going to end up with like six and ten, but then play like lose like ten one score games. Okay, so the Anthony Lynn style of loss. You want to? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know. It'll be it'll be Joe Burrow led though, not like draining the clock and you know like just jamming up the middle. Here's here's a prop that I like, and we have a props to on pff.com. The one that I like is Joe Burrow under Joe Burrow no interceptions at plus one forty. I don't think Cleveland is good enough in the secondary to do anything other than get a fluky interception, and I'll take those. I'll take those odds. I like it. Like that. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to be on Cincinnati early too. I also think that Cleveland, like if they are going to be 
a playoff team this year. They are going to, you know, get into that mix at, you know, eight, nine wins, which couldn't get them into that seventh spot. Like they got to win this game. So you don't want to have a do or die, make or break in week two of the season, but, you know, getting just absolutely steamrolled in the division in week one and then losing a divisional home game in week two is really just a, a tough spot. So they're going to need this one. And, uh, I think they get right and at least capture the win. I don't know that I like the number at all, but uh, I think they they get in the win column here. All right, we're gonna get into the uh, to the end. Sorry, Connor. Um, get into the fishy teaser of the week. Um, last week, uh, Daigle and Connor tried to poke a hole in it with the Packers. Um, they were wrong. The Packers were a winner. Unfortunately, the Colts were not. Uh, they just needed to win by a half a point. They were not able to secure that, which is really unfortunate for the sake of the show. I did hit a uh, a very fishy teaser that was not included in the show that I shared with Connor. It was a, a four-team team total teaser that I hit at, uh, at 12 to 1, which was incredible. Too fishy for the show even, I think. <laughs> but uh, I have the receipts. All right, for this week, Connor, I send it to you because I know you like to put it up on the board. Um, so, Eric, the goal is you're going to tell me where this is going to break. Uh, I got a... Five teamer, uh, six point teaser. This is a uh, five teamer, six points available at four to one over on FanDuel. We're going to start out with the Steelers at home, minus one and a half, being the Broncos. Uh, we're going to take the Titans doing the same, minus two and a half at home against Jacksonville. Uh, Ravens by a point on the road against the Texans. We got the Chiefs minus two and a half on the road against the Chargers. And then we have the Bucks at home, minus three and a half, which is my lean probably to where it busts uh, that half points on the wrong side of that hook, uh, Tim Bay against Carolina. So uh, first, Eric, do you dabble in the exotic market at all? Um, and then where does this bust? Yeah, I mean, teasers a little bit for me. This one, this one's pretty exotic. Um, I, I like Tennessee long term, but I think they could lose this game. Ooh, okay. So that's where I think it could maybe bust. Jacksonville starts two and zero. No one, no one had that. Oh man, no one had that. What are your thoughts, Connor? Yeah, the Bucks. Bucks three and a half. I know that I like them, you know, against the Panthers, but um, just getting around that key number there at three and a half. I think maybe you know maybe they somehow stumble and win by three instead of you know more, and that that's how this busts. Yeah, that's that's the one that just I typically wouldn't even. I didn't bet this one last week's one on the show. I'd already bet previously that Carolina one makes me nervous. I could really try to be steadfast with those teaser rules. And, and you know, if I'm going to try to do it, I'm going to try to make sure I'm manipulating the key numbers properly. Uh, the, the other one that was in consideration here was the Niners just getting them down to basically a minus one, but uh, you know, I don't feel great about the jets at all. So I'm not super worried about it, but I'm also not really confident in the Niners traveling west to east and uh and winning a football game even against the jets i think they do but to uh have it into a leg against uh the teaser i'm sorry i know that that's one of your your favorites and i bet it too i bet it at five and a half but that's a, a whole different beast into a, a teaser leg so for sure eric you're the man and we kept you a little longer than we wanted to but uh let everyone know where they can find you and your stuff yeah, I'm on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. I, as you guys, uh, yeah, appreciate that. You guys, uh, talked about, I host the PFF forecast, which is Monday mornings as well as Thursday, Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, PFF.com. Uh, you're usually writing about the NFL. 
if you like this podcast for some reason and you found us before you found Eric's podcast at PFF for some reason, you're going to like that podcast. Definitely check out the forecast over at PFF. Um, Eric and George do a great job with that. So uh, again, don't forget to find us and rate us and review us. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week to unpack week three. So for Eric and Connor, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening.